0: Hello, my Fred people. I am so excited to be introducing you to Kadisha Tashan Washington today to deepen our conversation that we started back in April with Jenny Lewis Ford around racism and burnout and how burnout pops up in different cultures and different people and with different levels of burden that they experience. Kadisha and I talked about canceling people, having honesty to ourselves and to others, what it means to be stuck in religion, and how to shift that to spirituality. I admit some of my own internal racist beliefs that I have been undoing oh, since probably about 2016, 2017, when I started my own process of, of breaking down racism in my world, and We really just get into it this week. Uh, There is nothing held back here. There is a lot of admittance of fault, and I think that it's important to model this for people so that we all feel like we can continue to grow and change and be better, because as Dr. Maya Angelou tells us, when we know better, we do better. So I hope that this episode helps you to understand a little more, to know a little more, and therefore to do a little more. Let's jump into it. Welcome to Fried, the Burnout Podcast. Fried is the podcast for everyone who has ever felt burnout because of their job, relationship, or life. Kate Donovan, Burnout Expert, will interview a new guest each week who will share their burnout stories with all the gory details. Every episode will give you immediate action steps that you can take right now if you're feeling fried and crispy around the edges. FRIED's main goals are to raise burnout awareness, kill the associated shame, and create a movement to end burnout culture. Hi, FRIED friends. I am so thrilled to have you here today, and I am very, very excited about today's guest. And you will, for sure, very quickly understand why the energy is palpable in this conversation, and I'm so, so excited to share it with you. We just spent almost 10 minutes talking to each other before I started recording, and I wish that I had recorded at all because there were already gems that you guys probably should have heard, so we will try and get back to them in the conversation. Today, I am talking to Khadija Tashan Washington, who is a licensed therapist that credits her own creative and chaotic childhood With inspiring her passion of social work, Khadija began her journey of service and self-healing in child and family mental health. Real, her book that just got published in May 2020, is a memoir of healing and deeper awareness that directs you to serve the most vulnerable. Soon you realize the most vulnerable people are the people serving the neglected, abused, and marginalized. Khadija Tashon Washington describes this journey of serving and self-healing as Real. Radical, Empathetic Acceptance of Life is her first book, and it speaks to the lost, burnt out, and the unhealed who are called to a purpose. Real inspires us to attract a life of deep, meaningful relationships, compassionate work, and mindful self-awareness. Khadija. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and excited for this conversation. Me too. I have chills all over and I'm so excited to create space for your story. So we start every episode of Fried with the guests sharing their version of their own burnout, what it meant to them, where it came from, what they went through, the nitty gritty, the nasty bits. We don't hold anything back here because one of Fried's goals is to smash the shame and guilt and judgment that we carry around being burnt out. So the more we hear people's sort of like the nasty bits, the more we're likely to allow ourselves to uncover them in our own lives. So feel free to.
1: Start where I start. (laughs) So, and I always say like burnout is something that I'm so passionate about. Um, And this whole anti-burnout movement, which I'm so happy that is happening. I feel like personally, I've had burnout after burnout after burnout from childhood to young adulthood, which is mentioned in the book, to I think the kind of the the climax and the challenge happens in my early 30s when I'm facing the end of my marriage. I'm a single parent. I'm deeply, deeply in financial debt and emotional debt. And I find myself really looking at life and saying, "What I can't go on like this anymore, pretty much. And then that's kind of the epiphany that happens when I start going on this journey of self-healing and myself journey of healing, you know, it dates back to really growing up with all of the isms, you know, racism. I grew up in Harlem, New York. I was a seventh child to a single mom who was overwhelmed with her own mental health issues. I experienced, you know, and witnessed domestic violence. I witnessed um, siblings in substance abuse. Some of my siblings went into mental health residential facilities and always as a child, curious about how a family like mine became a family like mine, I really didn't understand that from the time I was born, you know, social workers had been inside of my home in part of my life. And I thought everyone's family was sort of like that. And then at eight years old, I, I, I'm i confronted for the first time with whiteness. And I meet my first mm. essentially white people. And it, it hits me and dawns on me like that people don't live like this. Like, and I define that only through color because white people live this way Mm. and black people live this way. And I couldn't see anything other than that for a really, really long time. And so as I grew and and I, you know, matriculated, got my master's in social work, started studying African-centered social work and psychology, I was talking with a lot of women and men around trauma and our own family trauma and what we carry into the next generation until my Son, who is now 18 and graduate in activism himself, said, You know, the, the problem with you is because they always tell you what the problem with, with you 18 year olds know what the problem with you is is well, you don't have any white friends. So mm-hmm. I was like, I did the same thing that a lot of white people do. I have white friends, the lady at my job who has the thing, and we talk about stuff for things. I don't know where she lives, I've never been in her house, she's never been mine, but. He called me out and, and really my commitment to changing lives was I, was I only talking to people who looked like me, thought like me and experienced what I experienced and then expecting something to change. And Mm. a lot of my trauma was really centered and based and not completely, but centered and based in all, like you said, the isms, the systems, the structuralism, the education, the poverty And how was I going to expect that next generation to be different without confronting what was going on in the world? No, totally with everyone.
0: Yeah. So this brings up a lot Mm -hmm. all at at once. This brings up a lot all at once, right? Because there are some people who still fail to understand that we are living in a system that caters to white skin, to white people. Absolutely. So I feel like even in myself, I've been doing anti-racist work for multiple years now. I did not jump on this wave a couple of weeks ago with George Floyd. I've been on this journey for a little while. I grew up in a multicultural area. I had no idea how many times I hurt people over the years until a few years ago. And I have spent some time making amends and I know I will still mess up. However, my initial feeling is like well, good that you 're serving the black community because they don 't have enough people to serve them when i I had a conversation about racism and burnout in April um, with another black woman, Jenny Lewis Ford, who wrote a book about gratitude she 's incredible right. I love her, and still this like she mentions that when people in her community in the black community are looking for therapists and support and coaches they 're not finding them so, as a black therapist and coach and support person, now you're saying, "Well, I have to make changes by talking to white people, but then who are who's the black community going to talk to if all the black therapists are talking to the white people for our own mistakes like this is yeah. a really tough
1: space it's a it's a it's a difficult space because what I felt in the last few weeks, which yeah. all of these things have kind of like book drops two weeks ago yeah. and then like the world yeah. basically drops and two weeks ago and in the last few months really. And what I find myself doing is two things, you know, sort of appreciating and holding that space for rage and anger. Yeah. When you realize, like I said, you've been unseen and unheard for so long and then you're, you're met with a, but what this, this is going. So it's like, I I already feel unseen and unheard. And now you're hitting me with the, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I didn't know until this whole thing, Mm -hmm. this one person, these two, three, four, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, it's hundreds of people. Yeah. Thousands of
0: people. Yeah.
1: yeah, Thousands of people. So, so when you, when you look at it, it's like, I have to almost do two works. It's like the trauma healing work for black people to understand that when you have lived in privilege all of your life, how hard it is to step out yeah. and be different. Yeah. And that we live with our own, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we live with our own dogma and beliefs that we don't want to step out of in our culture. Yeah. And it's no different. Uh-huh. As hard as it is uh-huh. for you to step out and be different, is as hard as it is. Uh, that is very yeah. uncomfortable. That's very uncomfortable for even Black people to understand is the same way your granny taught you to make and and I talk about this especially with women and, and I've realized women of every culture has been really raised to create space for people to make other people feel comfortable. Yes. We just do it with white people. But people of right all, all, all women do it with all other people. So we're sitting going like that, how can they not recognize that's wrong and that's privilege? And it's like, but aren't you doing the same thing in your own family? Aren't you creating those gender dismissiveness aren't we creating all of these like quality like this is a better woman this is not a good woman this is good black people educated black people we do this all the time and it's like no that that whole system has to stop and it does have to stop and it's different you know talking to you know white folks and just kind of saying like so now that you're understanding this is what you have to do to educate yourself and you can't depend on black people to do that for you
0: yeah and that's a really hard thing for people to get like they want to just be able to ask questions and they feel like they're being yeah (laughs) what this is this is this sounds (laughs) shitty and I'm gonna say it anyway because they feel like they're being generous
1: right By the curiosity but it's like you're being selfish by saying yes and and they feel like they're being yeah Yeah. and I tried to explain that to um someone who was non-black was See, she was trying to really understand and not being from this country either and you know, not being Black. She was like, I don't get it. Who's supposed to explain this to us other than the people that it's impacting? <laughs> and I said, well, if you look at history, we've been taking care of white people for 401 years. We're just to a place where we don't want to take care of white people anymore. And yeah, I think if you look at that, then you kind of understand, like, you can have conversations with me if I am open to it, if you've done some work, if you've done some reading. But don't come to me and expect me to explain 401 years of history and a legacy and that this was not really our culture and our history. Slavery wasn't. It was something just like the Holocaust is not the culture of Jewish people. Right. This is not
0: right. where I'm
1: from. I'm not from slaves. Like I have a whole culture. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. challenging, but it's like, you know, people just have to have those uncomfortable conversations.
0: Yeah. I was thinking about the culture um, today because I was listening. By the way, you guys, we are talking. um, I didn't say this in the beginning, and I meant to because it's important and should be underlined. We are speaking on Juneteenth. Yes, yes, yes. Today, which is massively important. And I will let Khadija tell you why in a second, Mm. but we are speaking on Juneteenth, which matters. So I had to go get blood work done this morning, and it was a 25-minute drive, so I put on the Juneteenth new black music Spotify list on my way. And some of the songs were a little tough. <laughs> were they? A tough. Good, okay. In a good way. It okay. Was a little tough um, to listen to. And it got me thinking about the fact that, especially white Americans, um, we are so attached to our European culture, right? Like, I grew up being told that I was Irish. Like, my father's never even been to Ireland.
1: Right, right. You know,
0: like, my last name is Donovan. My first name is Caitlin. Like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, my grandfather still had an accent, but he'd never been to Ireland either. And when you grow up in, you know, in New York and in Jersey, like, the Italian culture is so strong. But they make things like chicken alfredo. Like, Italians don't (laughs) put chicken in pasta. and nobody here knows that because maybe they've only they've been to the Amalfi Coast six times but like they've never actually lived or spent time in they've spent time in Italian American culture yeah but that's different but we're very attached to that Mm -hmm. and when I was in college one of my very best friends was a black man from Newark New Jersey and he told me that one of the big things missing in his life is his ability to claim a prior country right Absolutely. He said, I can't tell you where I'm from because I don't know.
1: Absolutely. Because
0: you erased my ability to have that.
1: Yeah. I think that's, um, and living, you know, kind of doing this African-centered work and being around yeah. people who are African-centered. There's so many people now that I know that are going back and trying to do dual citizenship in, in Ghana and Kenya and recognizing that some of these cultural things are going to take maybe forever to to overcome and just being able to to be in a country where you literally can identify with everyone there there's no real differences between you and them i think it's beneficial um you know i i really you know and i get again all my goal is to always go to the continent i'm like literally just got off a call with someone in nigeria talking about you know how to be positive in crisis so i think it's coming i think the universe is like khadija get there because I think for everyone that I've spoke to about it it's like it's life-changing yeah it's life-changing so I mean I never want to take away anyone's connectedness I just think that unfortunately whiteness has become it's like a culture that's not really a culture like right it's a way to to have supremacy and have things in a system of of placements
0: yeah, which seems to me uh, to be very closely related to uh, colonialism. Yes. If we're going, yeah. going to go into Africa with a yeah. lot of white missionary, white Christianity. Christianity yeah. has been a huge, huge, yeah. huge proponent of racism over the years. Yeah. Because, oh, We got to go teach the heathens.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it, I, I I didn't have this in the book real, right? But my own experience, both going to a Black church and going to... A di- what they, people might call diverse church, right? Is yeah. is it, it? It didn't seem to make a difference. It like mm-hmm. it. I had you know white you know church brothers and sisters, black church brothers and sisters, but they all believed in white supremacy. They right. all sort of reinforced right. we are here to give to the people who are of darker complexion, whether they be black or anything else. This 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 doctrine and whenever I would ask things like, but, you know, Jesus was like in the Middle East and like probably not pale at all. Like you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. And then you notice when you say the word black lives matter, no, black doesn't matter. So you really kind of, even with religion, I think um my son and I, we were watching with the friend Hidden Colors and then mm. the, the fourth Hidden Colors was the religion of white supremacy. Mm. And it, it's so true when they say in the, in the film is like, All religions encompass supremacy. All of the religions are all based off of really instilling and keeping that that system in place. So it's like, is there really religion or is there just like what you believe and practice? And I don't want to be practicing in a way that people look different, but they think the same.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's important. And I think there'd be, I might get some questions um, mm-hmm. after that, but mm-hmm. I, I think that that's acceptable. I, I accept those questions. Right. I know that there are a lot of people with good intentions, with good hearts that do not realize that they are stuck in these systems. Absolutely, And I was uh, one of
1: those people, a fully church cohen, you know, I was always curious because even as a young child, I would go to church by myself. I was always connected with there's a higher power. God is in control of them. And even my life, I recognize that God really, the stories that I tell people wonder how I get to look, not like I'm, like I'm fried, like, you know, like, how did you get to this place? But it, it was, I really attribute that to God and like, you no, know, everything, you know, what I'm saying kind of happens some things tragically, but there was a huge lesson and something that now I have a gift to give other people. I give people permission to feel and, and have that empathy for themselves in a way that they weren't allowed to have before. So yeah, I was one of those people who were like, yeah, you've got to get baptized, do this, do that, do that. Let's ignore all the killing though. Let's hush down all of the injustices and let's just read the Bible. And I was like, no, that doesn't make sense.
0: Well, and th- this goes into something that we talked about just before we got on the call, the sort of intersection between white femininity and spirituality <laughs> and how harmful it is to the Black community. Yeah. My particular um view on that is that the the white spirituality the white feminine spirituality especially is harmful to pretty much everyone and i don't mean this in a bad way you guys i don't think that you have bad intentions i know that love is important and matters and all of that however Mm -hmm. however i see so many people in this life coaching spirituality personal growth space that are burnt out time and time and time and time and time and time, and time again, yes. because we're constantly focused on finding the silver lining on, on finding the positive there emotion. I'm not spending too long <laughs> in the, in the difficult pain, pain, right. In pain, right. We're in <laughs> we're, we are spiritually bypassing our own pain, which allows us to spiritually bypass your pain. Right.
1: And it's it, that's a beautiful thing and a way to say it. Like I never thought about it exactly like that, because I know so many, you know, really diverse people who are serious about their yoga practice, serious about their meditation practice, serious about their religious practice, right? And like, you can't tell them that it's not changed their life. And perhaps, yes, definitely has changed their life personally. But that doesn't skip the fact that there's things that you can do, that there's actionable steps that you can take. And I think, a lot of people use that sort of like, we're just going to sit and joy and like change our mindset about being attacked or being sexualized or being racist. Vic, yeah, we're going to change this victim mindset. And I'm always, I'm huge. Like, listen, no, it happened. You have yes. to get seek justice. That's part of my spiritual practice this is that I, even when I was a little kid I was I was beating up other people's bullies because I thought yeah you're not gonna be keep beating up one of these people they're like but well, you don't even like him it doesn't matter because <laughs> I was like one of those kids that were like interject like wait wait something's happening here but I think when you it, it's part of like not triggering like their trauma is to just kind of sit and just like I'm just gonna take some time and breathe I, and you should and I'm going to yes. take some time and do that. And I'm, I'm going to use up all of this space. I'm so busy taking care of myself that I now can't do any action. Like, right. so that's, that's the, you know, difficult part of it.
0: Yeah. And I think that it's, we, it's the thing about trauma and the thing about especially black trauma in the United States as the system is currently, mm-hmm. is that it's very hard to, if we think about the physical body, right? It's very hard to <clears throat> heal when you're constantly being hurt. So if somebody is holding a razor over your arm and slicing you and every time that one is about to heal, you get another slice, you are always healing. And what Um, I think the black community needs to hear is that you need extra time and space for your healing because you are being hurt by us every every single day. day. You don't have enough time to heal, to heal. I think, um,
1: and I posted this on my, my Instagram a few weeks, a couple of weeks ago, page 47 in the book actually says, it's how, if we think about trauma in history and how hard it is to love something or someone when you're being suffocated, that's what it feels like to be Black and live in America is yeah, we want to be in love, and we want to have great relationships, and we want to meditate and do yoga with you, and like eat figs and and, and healthy junk and stuff like that. No <laughs> offense to them, the healthy junkers. I like, <laughs> kind of like vegan people. Vegan hate. Like, no, I'm just saying, like eat live, living things. You know what I mean? Like we want to. Why wouldn't we want that sort of like peaceful life? But do you understand how hard it is to make a decision when you can't breathe? And I thought about even writing that. And then this thing happening with the killing of of George Floyd and I can't breathe. And I'm like, wow, I wrote that two years ago from being in a space of being eight years old, 35 years ago, you see what I'm saying? So it's like a legacy of literally being cut off from the life force of air. And then people wanting you to act normal and like, Make rational decisions and make good family decisions.
0: And and when we say act normal, we mean act white. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Because like my my white brothers and sisters, they have their own trauma too, but they don't talk about it. Right. (laughs) Don't talk about it. Like it's a little different. It's handled a little differently. So it's like things you don't say and things and things that I'm even learning now. It's like generational trauma is not specifically racial, because I'm a therapist. I know 90% of the things that people talk to me about are things that happened to them when they were five. Right. And and it doesn't matter if they're 55. So how can I sit and be like, well, it's just, uh," no, it's obviously we have a problem. (laughs) We have a really big problem with this trauma and this burnout and this having to wear these masks that are just like suffocating us. And we don't want to look like that
0: anymore. But this is the same thing as, as sort of saying, well, you know, all lives matter. Mm. Like, yeah, we're all wearing masks, but right now we need to focus on the people that are hurting them. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: then the, I think the flexibility is, is like, I, I say like, but you know, you get to take off your mask at some right. point, you know, you right. get to switch jobs. You get to, you know, you know, like someone was even talking about their job and like a racism built in systemically. And she was like, hey, everybody asked, why don't I quit my job? And she was like, I go to another job. It's going to be the same thing. And like, where am I going to work that is not going to have that environment and do the high level, you know, work and finance or whatever that she's doing, we don't have a where to go. There's no yeah. where to go. Even if I went to another country, more than likely someone European would would be in control to a certain degree.
0: Hey, Fried Fran. Did you know, did you know that you, yes, you, can book a free call with me to find out if working together will help you heal your burnout faster than, well, faster than you can DIY it. Burnout can take up to three years to heal, and I've even heard of people telling me that it took them longer. And the long end of that range is for people who burnt out doing it all by themselves and then trying to heal doing it all by themselves. You deserve support, and you deserve to get through this as fast as possible. I want to be that support for you, and I want to super speed your healing so that you can get back to your life ASAP. Book a free 30-minute call, and let's get this ending burnout party started. You can book your call at bit.ly forward slash callkate. That's bit.ly forward slash callkate. When I started doing my anti-racist work, I did a class with uh, Catrice Jackson and Layla Assad. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was like 2016, 17, something a few years ago. And that was the first time that I realized that I moved to Poland when I was 24. My husband is Polish from Poland, grew up in Poland. Uh, We met on a trip in Argentina and I finished my master's degree in Chinese medicine, flew halfway across the world and was like, I'm gonna make my life work here. And I went into an infertility center with a stack of research papers. And I said, acupuncture can boost your fertility rates. Like you can be a better clinic than every other clinic in the country because you're going to have a tool that nobody else has. And they hired me on the spot. And it wasn't until I took that class. That was in 2007. It wasn't until I took that class nearly 10 years later that I realized that if my skin didn't look like this. I would not have gotten that job. Absolutely. And that job catapulted my entire career career.
1: Right. And some people never get that shot and, and talented, yeah. you know, smart, bright people. And, and I'm hearing, and that's the, you know, the challenges because I know that, you know, there are people who are like right and left. And what I'm trying to say is it doesn't matter because this system <laughs> is applicable no matter what you believe religion, <laughs> political party, yeah. it's, in everything how many times And I'm, I'm like a huge like shark tank fan like I love watching people yeah. launch their businesses and just yeah. some of the stories is like wow so you just kind of walked in with a great idea and someone handed you fifty thousand dollars to start it never don't know anybody like that in my life we've had right. a start of fifty thousand or a million dollars or oh, and they're like well yeah and I grew it like now I have a billion like but we don't, Yeah. We don't
0: well, get, yeah, but you got 50,000 in CV.
1: Yeah. Who, who has 50,000? Yeah. I'm sure somebody does, but you know, most people are like, Hey, I'm just working. I'm just trying to get a little bit of money so I can like put that into my, you know what I'm saying? So when people say like, well, I don't practice racism, but you know, you accept the benefits of
0: it. And yeah. And, and, and this is a really hard thing. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a multicultural, low-income, welfare-ridden, drug-ridden, gang-ridden right. town. Right. And I was taught, this is super embarrassing, but I'm going to say it so because maybe it will trigger something in somebody mm-hmm. else. I was taught, not necessarily by my parents, but by society at, at large, that when it was time for me to apply to college, I was going to lose some of my space to affirmative action. Wow. Right, because a black girl who what didn't get as high grades as me and didn't have as much yeah. as many you know extracurricular activities as me was going to get a full scholarship to the school that I wanted to go to yeah. because she was black, yeah, and so i did i and and because I grew up in a family where there was no extra money, like I waited until my shoes were too small and to ask for new ones because there was I was not getting. So I think that there's a lot of people that do not understand that privilege is not only financial. Right, it's, it's in everything. Like it literally, um,
1: it's the idea. And that, that's why we say like, the, you know, the whole racism, white supremacy, it's like black people, white people, all people have been fed this food of lies, right? Like we've all like, yeah, like let, even for black people, like being lighter skinned, being educated, being this, this is gonna shield you somehow from like the brutality Right. Not, not having, not having hair. you know, natural hair, having, you know, European hair. And it's like, a, do whatever you want, because at the end of the day, they can kill anybody they want or they can. And even with me, I was a professional. I was working. Um, I talk about in the book, like real, how I had this tumor and I kept going back to the doctor for a year and a half. I go back to this doctor and I'm like, I don't feel well. I'm tired all the time. I'm having these panic attacks. I'm having these sweats. I'm having these headaches at night. And she just continues the, well, you're probably overwhelmed. You had, you're Black, so you probably have high blood pressure. And my blood pressure was elevated, but my blood pressure was elevated because of the tumor on my adrenal gland, which she never sent me for a second opinion. So even after a year of being treated and then This tumor being found accidentally because of, thank God, I had a bad gallbladder, too, on the same side as the tumor was. The God thing, right? Yeah, like people people like, what? like But I always say they would have never found that tumor if it was on the other side. Like simply that, I would have died of a hypertensive coma. And even the doctor was like, well, there's no cure for it. You either have surgery or it's fatal. It's no medicine. There's no, I thought about that. Of course, course. you know, now I'm in the healthcare field, right? And I'm integrative health. And I have to tell people all the time, go get a second opinion. Go get a third opinion. Go to a specialist. Because even people who look like me are like, well, the doctor told me that I just still 2020. So when I say I made the post like racism kills, but not in the way that you think not for brutality, not the violence, the economic deprivation, the health disparities, the fact that Black women are more likely to die from simply having a child.
0: It's like,
1: how can we live in the same country this long and our healthcare system be so, so different that I could die? And this wasn't even childbirth. I just almost died just because simply someone was like, she's probably just overwhelmed because she's Black. And I really, truly believe she felt like she was probably in her good mind, like saying she's a social worker, she's a mom, she's working a lot, she's Black, hypertension in her family. We don't need to do a a whole nother round of tests. Simple urine tests would have been able to detect that something was wrong with my kidneys and or adrenal gland. So really to look at that
0: is it's a deep dive.
1: It's a deep dive for everyone.
0: And it touches everything and everyone. And this is the thing that I think people don't understand about it is that it's so Mm -hmm. natural to us right to have these biases that we do not understand that they exist everywhere I said to uh, we were on a call with one of the networking groups that I'm in and it was right after George Floyd and right when everything started happening and we were supposed to talk about a specific topic and I'm the moderator of the call and I said you guys I can't talk about that today like we can't talk about that today there's too much going on we need Mm to we need to face this. And on the call, somebody said, yeah, but no, this, you need to face your own biases. Right. And I said, well, I'll start, you know, like I, I'll start. I'm going to tell you guys embarrassing things that, that pop into my head naturally. That even when they pop <laughs> yeah. in, I say, Oh yeah. my God, why did you think that? And I told them on the call and I'm going to admit that to the hundreds and thousands of people that listen to this podcast mm-hmm. right now. This is awful. But if I see a black man in an expensive car playing loud wow. music i assume he's a drug dealer no yeah. beca- i not yeah. because i challenge it I, immediately but that's the, the first thing that comes into my head that's, that's yeah. the conditioning that's the bias that's the stuff that we we don't control yeah. and in order to undo it we have to admit out loud that it's happening and this is something that you talk about in your book yeah. and in your work a lot about the fact that we have to face the ugly bits in order to be able to. I had so many names for
1: this book besides real. It wasn't funny. Like I probably rewrote and rewrote and rewrote. And it was called real because that is really what I want to bring people to, that there is a real actual life in person that you're impacting every day with your action words, thoughts, and deeds, and that we are all connected at the end of the day. And if that means that you need to talk with someone who looks different than you or, you know, having these biases, like you talk about <laughs> your biases. I have the same bias only when I see young white men behind me, almost like grab my keys. I wear a body alarm on me, uh, mm-hmm. may have a weapon and then pepper spray because I want to always be ready. And I think that they could just been like, like wanting to get something to eat. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it could just have been walking slow and in, in their way. But if someone speeds up, I speed up. And so I, I've literally gone around, you know what I'm saying, the street. So it's like, we have these things. And yeah. even, you know, black people to black people, it's sort of like, um, we've inherited this distrust of one another. And that's where I come in, even for that type of thing, which, yeah. you know, that yeah. I think some white people are kind of like aware of. Like, there's just like the, the the classism and the colorism and the things within the culture. But even for us, it's like, as we are learning to love each other and grow, we also have to face some of those things that have been taught to us from white supremacy is we got to start unlearning in that, like, maybe everybody is not harmful and maybe, People really are just struggling, and we can figure out a way to get them to where they want to be. When you said black man in the nice car and loud music, I was thinking about NBA player. Is what I was in, again. My own bias is, oh, he must be an entertainer, or or sportsman. Right. Like, can he right. just enjoy his music and be a lawyer? Like, don't I? Right. Aren't I always playing loud music when I go down the street? But yeah, right, yeah, all the time. And people are like, are you seventeen? Or are you forty? I like, bump music all the time but I'm like that's my song though that's my song so I get it like some people just it might be in the New York thing we're loud yeah. but <laughs> yeah that's what I mean like it comes to the forefront of your mind and you're like really yeah I even have to learn like even in my family I talk a lot about and I have book, to do this how it's so hard for us to hold on to each other it's so hard for us to have conversations with each other and some of us are just so disconnected but what I had to learn even in relationships now is It was so easy for me because my family was so detached and people were leaving that for me, my thing was, I just wouldn't talk to you again. I just didn't like what you said. I just wouldn't talk to you. I would leave you. I would avoid you. That was like sort of my story in my head is you did something to me. Yeah. There's people probably right now who are like, why should she stop talking to me? I'm cutting you off. Because I wasn't in a place to even repair. It wasn't even idea to me. Mm. Like I should probably tell him how I feel. Yeah. Even if it's uncomfortable because I'm either making people comfortable, right, or I'm leaving. One or the other. And there's a way that you can like be with people, be authentic and real. Yeah. And have that hopefully be able to repair some things. And um still working on that. Like still to this day, like struggling. <laughs> struggling
0: i'm like tell me what i'm doing wrong to people like what did i do khadija we are all going to be working on that for a long long time
1: people take that level of um you know because it's trust you know built into that too and it's like vulnerability you're my friend and now i don't know if i can trust you anymore so it's a lot of emotions and i want to honor yes. it and say yes. geez that's not how it that's not how i want it to come across i'm really coming to you saying Whatever you choose, I'm behind you. I've got nothing but good intentions for you. And even if I don't agree, I'm still going to be here. I don't actually have to even agree with you. Yeah. And I think we're getting to a place where that emotional work and like reversing the burnout, reversing that trauma, right. like that's where we need to be is right. worry about yourself, you know, what <laughs> I mean? do your own work, but also be aware yeah. enough to go like, yeah. hey, I can be here and not agree with you. I can totally be
0: here. And yeah. You- I think that this is something that you, the, the very beginning of your book, I want to read the first paragraph <laughs> that you wrote because I read it and I was like, we do the same work. It feels like it. It does feel like it. We do, we do the same work. I read this and I was like, yes, a thousand times, yes. And you wrote, writing this book means talking about the realities, unpleasantness and disappointments associated with those who build the parts of us that make us proud and give us identity. I feel an abundance of gratitude for all the experiences and people that have disappointed, harmed, or shamed me.
1: (sighs) Wow! Right? Wow! Right? And people like again, it's that it's that learning. People ask me like, because there's a lot of people I talk about in this book, right? (laughs) Like, so obviously I'm
0: telling. Every, everybody. everybody gets and I tell t- t- I t- I t- <laughs> my
1: family, I'm like, look, I changed your name, but the story is the story. I'm not checking anything else. I changed your name. These are not the same names, people, because I know people are like looking through it like, wait, was there a, no, these are not, these, the names have been changed <laughs> to protect everyone's privacy. But obviously I felt so strongly and I knew what, when I got divorced, I knew this man and this relationship was going to be part of my story. But I was in so much anger and so much like distortedness. I was like, I can't acknowledge him and give him the the light of it. I didn't want him to be the Ike Turner of this story. I wanted it to be like, I wanted to be the Tina Turner. And I was like, the only way that I get to shine is by saying like, what did I learn from that? And then also owning my own stuff with it. Like my own distrust and my own trauma that I brought into the relationship hoping and expecting that this damaged person was going to be able to take care of my stuff. And it was like, eh, eh. it was a quick, fast derail of a like, it was, I was like, if I wanted to be married so bad, but it was so hard to hold on to that relationship because it was two people really going full force ahead, like heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me, see me and having absolutely no skills as to how to do that.
0: Yeah and being living in a society that's hurting you every day and right. hurting each well, other every day and
1: telling each other you know I would hear things and he wasn't the first man who ever said this to me you know I talk about in the book relationships with men from the time that I was yeah. puberty yeah. problematic yeah problematic i developed fast men were disrespectful i grew up in an urban community sexuality was pretty much put on the forefront of this is what women are for and used yeah. for yeah. and there was really no usefulness or kindness towards women outside of that. And then growing up without a father to really demonstrate that sort of like masculine love that's respectful and and has you and like garners you in that, like holds you center in it. It's no wonder that that there was single parent home, like there was these struggles because I just really didn't have the kind of foundation to have a healthy relationship. Um, He would tell me all the time, he would say, "I, I haven't been happy all my life. Like when I was like, I, I'm not happy. He was like, and so what? I haven't been happy all my life. Yeah. And I really believed him.
0: And then you started your therapy process when you were pregnant, pregnant still. So we're not, we're not at that stage yet. But at some point, your therapist said something to you that is something that I say to people a lot in different words and something that I feel like you use with your clients too, this just like, let's get to the real truth of this so that we can handle it and move on. Right. And she said to you, He will never be there for you. He is not stable and he will not be your stability. Wow.
1: Yeah. I'll never forget that.
0: It was like someone told me the most authentic truth while looking me in the eye and holding my hand. It still hurt and it wasn't what I wanted, but it felt like the truth. It's, It's amazing. And then
1: honestly, at that point, that experience, I was my first therapist I'd ever gone to I had to be about 22 years old. Mind you, I should have gone to a therapist many years ago. I was having panic attacks out the Yang, college, teen. I didn't even know what they were called. I just know I couldn't breathe. And so I get to this like crisis again in my life and everything I noticed that like I try to tell people not to do this, like don't go to therapists in crisis necessarily. Just go to them so you can avoid the crisis, like be prevention. And like, that's kind of the work that I want to do. Like the prevention stuff, like, yeah, everything's not going to be a crisis, but it was the first time I feel like someone told me the truth. Mm. You know what I mean? Everyone had been telling me, my mother had been telling me, you have a baby now. It doesn't matter if he cheats. It doesn't matter how many women he's. you have a baby now. Be unhappy, but be quiet about it. Because that was the experience that she'd lived in all of her life. And what her mother had lived in all of her life was, well, men, they cheat and they can treat you terribly and you can not be getting these emotional needs met. But you know what? They go out, they work, they pay bills, they take care of their child. And if you say something, they may not do that. So let's not say anything. And so this was the first time that it clicked to me that A, I'm not going to get what I want. This is not going to be white picket fence or any picket fence, right? Yeah. I'm not I'm not going to get this man. And then B, first time someone actually had been like true to me, true to me, even though we didn't look alike and You know, this is a white woman telling me that for the first time, hey, and I decide that that semester I was in grad school for clinical psychology and I decide I want to be a therapist, switch over to clinical social work. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to walk with people, hold their hand and tell them truths.
0: So for me, and I said this in in the beginning before we get on, one of the things that I have people face is resentments, because I believe that almost every resentment we hold is our own shit. Mm -hmm. Resentments are not about other people. Resentments about are about your expectations, resentments are about not being seen, not being validated, not feeling worthy, right. overworking, overgiving, overdoing. Absolutely. Resentments are from a place I mean, and this was true in my life. So maybe I'm projecting. Let's let's just go ahead and admit that really quickly. <laughs> yep. But for me it was like I felt like I was doing all of these things and I wasn't getting enough back for it. But I was doing it and I was being real quiet because I just wanted people to turn around and pat me on the back and say, good job, Katie, you're an amazing person, right? Yeah. And so I I was um, talking to a client the other day and she was telling me a story about she had this friend and they had this situation and she didn't know what to say to her. And I said, well, this is what you say. This is how you say it. And this is what you mean by it. And this is the intention that you use. And what she does with it is hers. And she looked at me and she was like, that's it? I said, yeah. Wow. Her shit is not your business. No, no,
1: it's so hard.
0: Her shit is not your business. But if you show up and you say, I don't need boundaries, you do whatever you want. And then you leave and you're pissed because your boundaries were crossed.
1: Yeah. And
0: I can't even tell,
1: I can't even tell you how many friendships, I was just thinking about this this morning. How many friendships that I lose when I did the work? Like, I think that's what people don't mm. want to talk about. When you're self-healing, when you're going through this journey, when you're confronting yourself and like your own awareness, your friend picture is going to change within one to three years. You may not have Easily. any of your old friends because they really weren't your friends. They were people that held you in a certain place in their life to make them feel comfortable. Stop doing it.
0: And you put yourself in that place in their lives because that's what made you feel valuable and loved. Exactly,
1: And, and it's like, it's almost like, I got, I think about this with a friend of mine that, you know, we lost connection. It was like, we didn't even know how to get back to connection because I was such a different person and she was expecting me to be, why are you handling me like this? And I was like, but I'm not, I'm literally just doing what I, this is what I believe. Like, I'm not treating you differently than anyone else, but I realized for myself, no, I am different. I am treating her different. I am responding to her differently. Because I'm treating her with an expectation of reciprocity that she's never had to offer me. You know, she's never really had to go like, okay. Same thing with my mom. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm expecting you. Like, no. We just accept that this is going to look different for us. And that we have to have these boundaries in place for me to be a healthy individual. And to this day, I don't think people really honor the fact that in order for you to get healthy, your relationships maybe even your work your your children your family your partner it's going to probably have to change and not like you break up but like it literally the dynamics of it right has to really yeah. ch- change to do that work
0: And so this is something that bothers me a lot in this space is that people say, you know, when I was healing, I tried to put up boundaries and this person didn't respect them. So again, like we're back to the, I cut them out because they didn't respect my boundary. And what we don't realize is the systems that we create with people, we create with people. And when we change the rules of the game mid game, we have to allow other people the space to react and adjust if it's possible for them. And it's going to take more than you sitting down and saying, I went to a therapist, you know, I need better boundaries. This is my new plan. Like people aren't just going to get on board with that. When you think about change culture, even in corporations, right. It takes, they, they are, um, Oh, I just thought of the word in Polish instead of (laughs) English. Uh, they're implementing changes over the course of years.
1: Yeah absolutely absolutely
0: so your relationships if they're to heal it takes so, because some of them will heal yeah. also some people yeah. will come along for the ride with yeah. you for sure. and they'll start
1: growing but you're, right
0: and they'll start growing and they are going to start having requests of you as well and it's going to be uncomfortable the other way exactly. too like you're going to be like oh shit that's hey not hey a-
1: now well, okay. <laughs> hey wait i do that okay yeah it's very interesting to me and i talk about it like again in the book It's like. People want that reality TV sort of change. They want to fix my life. They want a real housewife. They want someone to come in. You see clips of the therapist talking with everyone in a circle. And by that 56 seconds, 56 minutes, people are sort of like healed. And you're like me as a therapist and then like the work that I've done. I tell people, shoot, it took me a solid 10 years and I'm still working on the stuff like having conversations about what I need emotionally, because I'm so used to not asking for emotional stuff. I'm so uncomfortable with it to the point where it gives me so much anxiety that I have to prep and prepare myself. Like I'm going to have to ask for this. I'm going to really have to request. I'm still doing that work today. And I tell people, look, this is a marathon. This is not, I'm going to do one good little pat on my back type thing. Like you have to really be invested in the work. This is not going to be yeah. four sessions. This is not going to be six. This is not going to be one consultation, one coach, many coaches, many consultations, many therapists. I talk about them, yes. some of them in the book. Like yeah. this wasn't like one person that was like, ha, I gave you all the secrets. It was
0: yeah, <laughs> no, different no,
1: places no. in my life, different needs, but you have to be yeah. committed to your own, your own self-love enough to be like, I'm yeah. okay taking my time. And if you need to take some space with someone,
0: yeah, I'm okay doing this.
1: Yeah, and it's a and it's it can be lonely. Like that was the thing where I would yeah. always get back into those kind of relationships or find someone like I look. Like I'm I'm done with her, but I had to go and find someone who was just like her. And like like are people really like like thinking about that? Like we always say, we're done with that guy, and then we find the guy who just has blue shoes and not the like it's literally the same guy. And we're like, but we're done. And like, no, if you're really done, you wouldn't be picking up guys like that. Right. You wouldn't even have friends like that.
0: Right, right. And so I think that it's important to just realize that when you're going through this process, yes, you might lose some people, some people you might not lose, a lot of people you're going to have a lot of uncomfortable conversations with, Right. right, and you will need all different types of support when I first became an acupuncturist, I was really upset when people saw other therapists as well, because I felt like because Chinese medicine is holistic, right? We do emotions yeah. and yeah, we do yeah, lifestyle. Yeah. We do nutrition. We do, you know, physical body, like mental body. We do all of it. Right. So I wanted, and and that was part of my burnout. Right. I saw that my value was being able to like save people from yeah. themselves. Yeah. And now I'm really happy being like one person on your team. Yeah. I'm really happy being one piece of your story. Right. I'm really happy just just taking up that much space, and I, but I do remember being really disappointed when people are like, oh, I started seeing a therapist. I'm like, but why? I can do it all for you. I can do <laughs> I can heal everything, and, and I, I can think, do it. That all. was the, that was the thing. It's like I wanted to
1: help people so much, and I knew, like, I had a real spirit and energy for it. That was the issue. It was like, well, what do I want to talk about? Relationships. I want to talk about that divorce. I want to talk about that. And I was just like, you know what? But there's gonna be the one thing that's I'm good at, and like the thing that like child and family and generational. Work is like that's the thing that I've been doing the longest and most consistent and most rewarding. And I think it's okay to just go like, yeah, I don't have to be the savior. I don't have to be everybody's best friend. I don't have to keep tell me all their secrets. It's and it's that like that own like sense of narcissism. I need to be <laughs> the savior of everyone if I'm going to be a good person. Yeah. It's like I value myself when I'm not doing anything. When I've literally spent the weekend yeah. on the sofa. I'm still a wonderful person, whether I did have, however many calls or whatever. So,
0: that um, was a hard lesson for me. It, it
1: takes it takes some time because you know, like healers and helpers, they really want to have that, like, oh, this is this is who, look what I did, look, you know what I'm saying? And like, people don't aren't exactly like that. Like, they're, they're, they don't really like what you put into them doesn't actually all come out at the same time. So.
0: Yeah. One of the the things that um, one of my teachers taught me a long time ago, she said, Katie, what you need to realize is that when somebody asks you for a specific help and you have the ability and the time to, to assist them and you choose to give it as a gift, yeah. you know, you choose to, to enter that space and, and give them whatever it is that they have let you know that they need. Right. You have to understand that that energy will probably not come back to you through that person. Mm. It will come back.
1: That's powerful. That's it powerful. will
0: come back, but you have to keep your eyes open to all the good things that are happening in your life so that you realize right. that you're getting paid back. Even when people pay you, because getting getting paid financially is one piece of it, but that is not why we do the right. work we do. Of course, we all want to be making good money and living good lives. I'm not saying that we don't. Like, I love when you pay me, right. you guys. i big fan. Yes, fans. please. About, <laughs> yeah, please pay please me. Pay. I love that. However, <laughs> if the only thing that I was getting out of my job was money it would not be okay with me. I would not feel good about that. And it would not fulfill me that way. So she taught me to stop looking. And this was a a big part of the, and why I focused so much on resentment Mm -hmm. is because that, just that one conversation taught me to stop searching for the nuggets that I wanted to get back from specific people and start paying attention to the nuggets I was getting other places in my life that that were coming seemingly from nowhere literally and I
1: my goodness it's so funny that you said this because someone Mm -hmm. contacted me yesterday literally was like hey would you like to do this I am not even say the project because it was coming next week and I was like wow and you know just I always ask this how did you find me and she was like, yes. "I don't even remember. I don't even remember. It was like a hundred people that called me. I don't remember which one co- told me about. It. I think it's this. Did she name someone? And I looked her up. I was like, I don't even know her. <laughs> like I've never met this person before. That can't be the person. But I, I realized I was like always like saying and and, and in an affirmation like this is going to be some powerful work that's going to come out of this. This, this is like as more than a book. It's powerful yeah. work. And I think the most." resistance I've gotten in this book that make people feel the most uncomfortable undoubtedly is the relationship with my mom because Mm -hmm. I think especially for women like the relationships with your mom you're either like she's the queen and I love her and she's everything and I can't do anything without her or it's so fractured and so broken you've been taught not to say anything yeah, it's like I can't even go there. People are literally like battling, like, is this okay? And how does she feel? And what are you, and how are you going to fix this? Like, people literally, like, yeah. Saying, no, this is not. If you read the book, yeah. Not fixing if, this. This if, if you read the is. book, there's so many stories in this book, real, that it's like it's unfinished. And that's how I wanted to leave it. Because we're still all living, you know? Like, we're all living and we're yeah. still figuring it out. And it may be a part two, like when I'm 60 or something like that. But Yeah. Like that's the way our lives are. Our lives are completely unfinished and it's okay to say, yeah, I don't have a great relationship with my mom or my dad or my child or my whatever. And I've tried over and over again, but especially in this culture, because we revere, you know, mothers and grandmothers and all of the work and toil that, you know, and I've had to really explain to people, I I had to say this, that was your mother. That was your mother. That wasn't the mother that I had. So, but they, people want to, again, just like black men, they want to put everybody in this. This is black men or this is black women. It's like, not.
0: That's the black guy that you knew. That's the black woman that you knew. Yeah,
1: that's the experience you had with that particular Mm -hmm. black man or that particular black woman. But for me, it was figuring out what type of black mom that I want to be. Do I want to be adopting somebody? some of the, some of the things I do adopt and I do, I'm like, Hey, this is how things are going to be. But some of the things it's like, I had to let go of that generational, I'm going to keep you bound to what I think. Man. and the most beautiful thing about that was the other day, my 18 year old son, I was telling him about a business proposition I had for him to work in the, in the business. And he goes, yeah, I don't think that I can give you my best work right now. So I'm going to have to say no to that because I want you to be successful, and I want you to win, and I can't help you. And
0: I, I will cry.
1: Like, I was speechless for the day, and then I called him the next day, and I said, thank you for telling me the truth, because if I would have been 18, and my mom would have said, hey, I want you to do this in my business. I think I need someone to take this over. It's too much. I would have been like, okay, I guess I got to do it. He was like, no, right now, I just want to get, like, a simple job and go to school, and kind of work on my stuff and my activism. And I know you want someone who's going to be passionate about this and I'm not the person for you. And I'm not passionate about it. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not passionate about this. Here, mm-hmm. here's my friend who might be able to help you. And he came with a solution. <laughs> came with the, with the, yeah, she does graphic art. You know, talk to her, give her the money, pay her. And I was going, what the heck have I done? All this, yeah, I'm telling you. A so, real good job. Yeah, like, no, and it wasn't even, I was like, kids really catch they really catch yeah. it. You can't teach yeah. a child anything. They just kind of catch and catch. And like, he's hearing me say like, no, even with a friend, I was like, you know, he was like, oh, does work race work. And I was like, yeah, I can continue my consultation and we can set up some time. They were like, send me a, we're friends. Right. Mm. But this is work. Yes.
0: This is my job. Yeah.
1: Like this is work. I, that's why I have the website and the acuity. Like I, I, this is, yeah. If you want an hour, yeah. I'm I'm happy to help you. And, and even some like beginning ideas we can kind of talk about ahead of time. But yeah, I'm not, not going to work. I wouldn't expect you as my friend to work for free. I'm not going to expect my son to deny what he ultimately feels like is right for him. And I'm really, really, I thought I would have such a terrible time letting go. I'm like, oh my God, he's 18. He's the only person I have. But now I'm like, I, for the first time, I'm like, I'm seeing him as a man and an individual. As his own. Yeah. I never before, like, what? Like he's not a he's not my baby anymore. This is one of the greatest gifts my mother gave me. It's amazing. It's it's amazing because I just look at him like I I like admire him as a person, not like as my kid. If that makes any sense, like it's almost yeah, like if totally. I didn't know him, I would still like him. Yeah, and um, that's what I think you you really want, and your your kid. You like I would hang out with them even if I didn't know him
0: Yeah, that's powerful, and I think that that's what you give to people when you work with them as well. You give them the freedom. Yeah. To be their own people, to see themselves as individuals, to allow themselves to grow in the w- in the ways that they need to, to face the difficult, uncomfortable, right. nasty bits of themselves, of their thoughts, of their experiences Yeah, and tell them you're lovable anyway. Yeah. Like you have un- unconditional
1: love from a source, whether you consider that God, whether you consider that higher power, I've never, and I always said that, like, even with all my childhood trauma, never felt so disconnected that someone wasn't praying for me, caring for me, loving me. Mm. Some entity, some energy, because things would happen. No, I didn't have the kind of mother-child relationship people might think of, but I had so many mother figures. You see what I'm saying? I had mother figures in the church. I had mother figures at work, and it was weird because I would always, and I talk about the the, the older woman who watched my baby for me when I went to grad school. I was like, it's amazing. I didn't have a mom, but somehow there was always a woman willing to take me under her wing and like show me love, kind, compassion in a way that I was like uncomfortable with at first. For a long time, I, I could not tolerate compliments. I couldn't tolerate anyone telling me I did a good job because I was so like, I don't do good jobs. Or anyone
0: know. saying, you're lovable just because you exist. I'll help you just because yeah. you exist.
1: Yeah, I give people, and that's what I was like to hold on to, is I give people the permission to feel however they want to feel. <laughs> and that is a huge thing that people are like, no, they're feeling that. You don't understand how long I went, and I could not say I was depressed. I could not say I was anxious. I couldn't say I was having panic attacks. I couldn't say I didn't feel well. I was always have wearing that mask that made the burnout, even created the burnout. Is trying yeah. to be a good wife, a good mom, a good superwoman. Well,
0: hashtag strong black woman.
1: Strong. Yeah, and it was almost like i am really anti that whole um black girl magic movement mm-hmm. that people talk about. But like I would say, like no, 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 no. I will never put no hashtag like black girl magic because magic is not real. <laughs> like magic, it's not real. I get what you're saying. Yeah. You accomplished a lot, but I also see a lot of black professional women fall into suicide, depression, and anxiety, trying to be the everything. I mean, some of them have taken their lives, like the people, you know what I'm saying? And even in the news today, you're like, why are all these like very like wealthy, very professional, very talented, creative Black people taking their life because they have to be the everything and no one gives them permission to be tired. Because
0: they have to wear all the masks. They
1: have to wear all the masks all, all the time. And so it's okay to just say, hey, I'm not taking calls today. Hey, I'm not doing this, is I'm going away for a couple days and like one day. Yeah, I shut people are surprised that when people did you see it on the news, I don't even watch TV. Like I only watch TV maybe one day a week for two hours. So I really don't know unless it's like social media and that someone happens to send me something, what's going on? And I like it that way. I like to get like the information that I can, you know, read. And I think people have to take more time with themselves and just say, Hey, give yourself permission. Like you're You're wonderful if you did absolutely nothing.
0: I usually ask people at the end of a show to share something um that they would like people to hear, but I think that you just did that without my prompting
1: <laughs> yes that that's exactly what I was going to say. Give people permission to feel anyway.
0: yeah, I love that so much. I feel like we could um probably go on for another hour or two for sure because there's still questions that I would like to ask you, but um but I do like to keep things around an hour so that people are not sitting in their cars thinking, I really need to get upstairs and start cooking, <laughs> but I don't want to leave this conversation. That's me, a because, podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do. I do get that. I do get that feedback a lot that the people are sitting in their driveways, not going upstairs because they are uh, trying to finish an episode. Yeah. So I will let them, I will let you go back to your, wherever it is you're going. Yes. Everybody. Um, But I would like to take a moment and, thank you deeply from the bottom of everything that i have this was awesome this was awesome and thank you for having this platform to
1: talk about these things i've been so passionate about burnout and i listened to your podcast and i was like wow this is going to be good it's going to be it's going to be good
0: well and we can't talk about burnout without talking about racism right we can't
1: it's so it's so integral and i'm i'm so happy that people have been contacting me um you know through social media and seeing my yeah. posts and and I'm totally okay with the questions being asked. In fact, ask me, don't ask all of them. Yeah. In fact, I will, I will help to direct you as much as possible and then get Google some stuff too on your own. But <laughs> at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I say these have been some of the best conversations in the last few weeks. You know, the universe and whatever put it together for everything to line up to talk about these sorts of things. So I'm so grateful to even have this space to like have a deeper connection and conversation.
0: Yeah, me too. Me too. I feel like um, I've been thinking about it for quite a few years, how to put it into my work. And I was having a hard time figuring it out and sort of being pushed into it um, was useful for me. Yes, yes was and, useful for me. So yeah. I'm really grateful to have people that are willing to have the conversations like you and, and willing to be asked the uncomfortable questions and okay with showing up and being vulnerable because I know that it is costly and it is difficult and it can be a challenge. Yes. Um, so I really, really, really deeply appreciate your showing up here today and sharing with me and the flow of our conversation was just so easy. I just love it. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. All right, everybody, we're wrapping up another episode of Fried the Burnout podcast. You will be able to find all of Khadija's information in the show notes, and you will be able to, of course, whenever you need to, book a call with me because I love chatting with you. And Khadija and I are both here to help you through your burnouts because that is what we live for. All right, until next time. All right, my listeners, before you go, I really hope that was a helpful episode for you and gave you a chance to see some places where... Either if you are a white woman or a white man, some places where you could do some things better, and if you happen to be a black woman or a black man listening, maybe this helps you to see that you deserve to give yourself a little more space. You deserve to give yourself a little more attention. You may have more hurts than the average person, so you may need a little more time to heal and that it's acceptable and necessary for you to gift yourself that space, um, I'm going to leave everywhere where you can find Khadija in the show notes. And I would just love for you to remember that doing free consults for you is so fun for me. And I really, really love to help get you unstuck and help you find clarity in what your next steps are, whether they are working with me one-on-one, doing a course that I've created earlier, or working on something else with someone else, if that's what's necessary. I'm happy to help you figure that out. So please do not hesitate to book your free call to find out what you can do next in order to stop this burnout cycle from owning you. I want you to own your life again. I want you to gain your power back. I want you to feel in control. So if you need to book a call, even if you have like a 20% inkling, like, oh, maybe I should do that. I want you to go do it. Like literally go do it right now. And you can book a call at bit.ly forward slash call Kate. It's very easy. It will take you no time at all. And then we have a chance to sort through some of your stuff and help you get back on a path that feels better, stronger, and more empowered. All right. Until next time.